Hey City Gates, good morning. My name is Tom Wolf, and I'm really glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, my, I'm here with my wife Jess and our four kids hanging out for the day. We live in Alliston and so we are a part of leading a church there called Anchor Point Church. And it's been a huge encouragement and blessing for us as a couple and as a family and also for our church to get to know Vic and Tanya and you guys here at City Gates better. Because we're doing our best, just like you guys, to follow Jesus and see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's a great honor to be able to share with you guys this morning. Uh, Vic gave me the green light to share whatever I felt like um, God was speaking or put on my heart for you guys as a community. And so I want to do that with, with gratitude and with a lot of humility. I want to submit to you guys um, what I felt like as I was praying for you, as I was reading the word and just thinking about and hearing about how you guys are doing. Um, just what God's put on my heart. And so the, the title of my message is Becoming a Pursuing People or How the Pursuing God Shapes Us for Mission. And so I want to humbly talk through that together. And there's this one story in John chapter 20 that I'm going to use as kind of the springboard for our conversation today. But I, I want to um, not assume that everyone that's listening or watching actually knows what's going on in the Bible. And so I want to give just a little overview of what's going on in the story of Scripture because the, the Bible is one unified story that actually points us to Jesus. And that story is this telling of heaven on earth being ripped apart into heaven and earth and God's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. That's the, the story of the Bible. So we find ourselves in that story, kind of in the middle, at the, at right after the highest point of the story, and we are going to encounter a couple main characters. Uh, actually, we're going we're gonna to actually see the entire Trinity represented in this scripture. We're, so we're going to learn about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And Jesus, the Son of God, has come. And the theological word for this is the incarnation. So God has put on flesh and has come to walk amongst us. And he's, he's done that for a few reasons. The first reason is he's come to show us what God is actually really like. Because sin, what it does is it confuses us and we don't really know what God's like. We get stuck. We project our own image of God into the story and situation. And so he comes and puts on flesh and walks amongst people. And so he comes to show us what God is really like. He comes to announce the arrival of God's kingdom or God's rule expressed in God's way, in God's world, by God's people. And then he also comes to invite us to follow him as his disciples, to learn from him how to live life as a human being. And so another way of thinking about this, uh, Josh Butler wrote a book called The Pursuing God, and he, he gives this beautiful image of an artist actually stepping into their painting. And that's what happens here where Jesus is stepping into the story. Things have gone awry, and he's come to sort it out by stepping into the, the situation to solve the problem from within it. So we meet, we meet God there. Then we see the disciples. So men and women who have accepted Jesus' invitation to follow him and partner with him in his kingdom work, those followers who have responded to his message. Then we're going to see the Jews who are some religious leaders of the day who rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah, the one who's actually going to come and reconcile heaven and earth and reconnect heaven and earth or reconnect God and man through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And so we find ourselves, those are the characters, we find ourselves in the narrative of Scripture right at three days after the crucifixion. So three days, three days prior to this, Jesus was actually crucified by the Jews on the cross. And during that whole situation, all of his disciples desert him or kind of run away or don't want to have anything to do with him as things look to take a turn in the story. 
And this morning, the, the morning we're going to read about, or, or the evening we're going to read about, the morning of, he appeared in his resurrected body to Mary Magdalene. So one of Jesus' followers. He, he walks out of the tomb and comes and speaks to Mary directly. So there's all kinds of stuff happening. So that's a bit of the context and, and a little bit of a brief explanation of the characters that we're going to find ourselves reading about. So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you open up to John chapter 20, and I'm going to read verses 19 to 23, and I'll be reading from the ESV. So on the evening of that day, the Easter morning, that evening, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If anyone forgives the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from it, from any, it is withheld. John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are grateful for your presence here. We're grateful for your word. Lord, we ask today as we open it that you would reveal your heart for us, your people. And that it wouldn't just stop with us, it would, it would propel us into joining you in your mission, Lord, to reunite heaven and earth or to fill the whole world with your presence. Lord, would we catch a greater understanding, a deeper glimpse into what you've actually accomplished for us in your life, death, and resurrection. And Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the scriptures to us as we open them up and learn from them together. Lord, I submit all I've prepared to you and ask that anything that is just from me would fall away. And if there's anything from you, Lord, that it would stick, that it would change people's hearts, and that we would leave here, leave this time together, wanting to be with you, Jesus, wanting to become like you, Jesus, and wanting to do what you did. We love you, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So before we get into kind of a few things that, that stuck out to me, guys, I wanted to just talk briefly about this principle that's going to be kind of... Um, guiding us through what we're going to be talking about. And so the gospel is, is something that, that we can hear, and it can kind of come in one ear and go out the other, or it can actually become something that becomes the basis for our life, from the, the place from which we live, and how we see the world, and how we see other people, how we see everything, all of life. And so I want us to think through this. So everything that God has done to you and for you in Jesus, he now wants to do through you by the Spirit. So everything he's done to you and for you through Christ, he now wants, in Christ, he now wants to do through you by his spirit. Okay, so that's the guiding principle and what we're going to be talking about today. So let's dive into the first thing that, that we see about this pursuing God and how his pursuit of us shapes us for mission. The first thing we see is that Jesus walks through our walls. He walks through our walls. We see this right away. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. So I want us to imagine ourselves in the room there with the disciples. They've just deserted Jesus, their leader. They're probably terrified 
that the Jews, the, the religious leaders of the day, are, are probably looking for them because they've gone to the tomb and seen that it's empty. So they're going to remember, okay, I remember what Peter looked like. He was always with Jesus, maybe James or even Mary, and they're going to be looking for them. So what do they do? They hide. They're, and I, I picture them kind of peering out the like maybe there's a slat in the door and they can kind of see through who's coming by and they're all hushing the children and just trying to just hide out where they are. And that's not unlike us. When we do things that we're embarrassed about, where we feel shame, what do we do? We, we hide. So they hide. And so what's amazing right away, kind of hits you just right in the face, is that Jesus, he, it talks about how the doors were locked, but somehow Jesus in his new resurrected body gets through their perceived protection, perceived walls that they can hide behind and just stands among them. You see, what happens is, guys, in in the gospel story, in our story, each of us, our sin and brokenness, it leads us to places of hiding. It leads us to locking doors. And and, and that's often because maybe we've, we've been somewhere we shouldn't be or we've done things that we shouldn't do or we're avoiding what we know we should be doing. But the reality is, is that we can't actually hide from God. And it's not actually the best thing for us. And sometimes we can get stuck thinking, you know, God, where are you? And he's actually, it's, it's not so much that God isn't to be found, it's that we don't want to be found by God. And this whole idea that we can live under this illusion that we can hide from God and that it's better that we hide from God, it's almost like when, if any of, any of you guys have kids, when you play hide and seek with them when they're really little, and they think they're hiding and it's like you can see half their body out from under the couch or they're standing behind like a tiny little you know, sapling and their body's protruding on either side. That's kind of what it's like. We think we can hide from God, but he, he's going to come after us in a good way. He loves us. He's pursuing us from the very beginning. We've all wandered from our design to partner with God in his mission to fill all the earth. We all have. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But what Jesus does, we see in, as we're hiding, as we hide behind these walls, what he does is he comes and he finds us. He pursues us until he finds us where we're hiding. And in this case, he literally walks through the walls to find his friends. And this reminds me of the beginning of the story in the garden when God creates Adam and Eve and he, he says you can eat from anything in this garden, this beautiful place, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They eat from that tree and immediately as they've rebelled against God, they go and they hide. They hide themselves. All of a sudden they realize their nakedness. They go and hide from God. And it's, it's important for us to pick up on this right in the very beginning of the story. Jesus or the God's response to their rebellion and sin is to come. And what does he do? He comes into the garden. He doesn't scold them. He doesn't yell at them. He asks this question, where are you? Where are you? And so the pursuing God walks through our walls, and this is, this is our response. So if everything God has done to us and for us, he now wants to do through us, that principle, remember, it's, it's so that we as his people can meet others where they're at. As others in our lives are hiding, as, they're, as, they're, as, they, as they put up their walls, they've locked themselves off to God and to others. Because we've been pursued and God has walked through our own walls, and we've experienced the goodness of that, the grace of that, it propels us into these places so that we can meet people where they're at. So that's the first thing I want us to to pay attention to. The second thing is this. He speaks peace. Really simple. And he said to them, peace be with you. So again, let's, let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a bit, or sandals, if you will, 
It's a bad, bad joke. I'm sorry. You see, the disciples were afraid of being rebuked. You know, you know when you've done something wrong and you have to go and face that person? Maybe you've, you've bailed on something, you've forgotten something, you've lied, you've done something, and you're kind of like, what's it going to be like when I see them again? Imagine that. Like, they're, they're you know, afraid of, of I mean, they're, they're dealing with their shame probably of abandoning Jesus and all this stuff is going through their minds. And so there's this fear of being rebuked. And what does Jesus come and do? He comes and he speaks peace to them. He says, peace be with you. What God does, what the pursuing God does is he finds us in our alienation and in our hiding and he speaks peace. Peace be with you. The, the Greek word used here in the New Testament is irene. And it means when all the essential parts are joined together. The most basic meaning of, of irene or shalom is, is completeness or wholeness. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a complete stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness or wholeness. You see, God's peace is not narrowly defined. It's more than the absence of strife. It encompasses all of the person. What Jesus is doing, remember, this is the, the, the day of the resurrection, the, the day of it is finished, of him, of him walking out the other side of the grave. He's summing up the essence of his work and his presence in the world. Peace be with you. He has made peace through the blood of his cross, Paul says in Colossians 1. What this does, what Jesus accomplishes for us in his death and resurrection is peace between us and himself, peace between us and God, peace between us and one another in the body of Christ, and peace in our own souls. And it keeps going out from there where it gives us peace and hope for this eternal, uh, sorry, a hope for an eternal peace and this shalom in the new creation. So the pursuing God comes and he walks through our walls and then he comes and he speaks peace. Hey, peace be with you. So what do we learn from that? If, if that's what he's done to us and for us, what does he now want to do through us? As people who have received the good news of peace be with you, we're able to go out and spread that so that we can speak good news to others. We hear Peace be with you so that we can speak good news to others. Isaiah 52 verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. The next thing we see, the pursuing God, Jesus shows us that suffering or death is not the end. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad they saw the Lord. Remember, they were maybe in a state of being a little bit anxious about how it was going to go. God in, in Jesus comes and speaks peace to them. And then he actually shows them his hands and his side, where, where the nails were three days ago, piercing his hands, and where his, his side was split by a spear, and water and blood rushed out. Isaiah 53 says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, in Jesus' death on the cross, he goes to the deepest, darkest depths of our rebellion. 
as he takes on our sin, our rebellion, our shame, and all of its consequences and punishments. But what he does is he, only, he, he triumphs over the enemy in and through his resurrection. And again, his impending ascension that's yet to happen in this part of the story. But Jesus goes into the deepest, darkest parts of our humanity, our fallenness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, and heals it from the inside out, redeems it from the inside out, takes the punishment on himself for our benefit. In Hebrews, it says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There was this hopefulness that actually this is not the end, that all of our suffering and all of our pain is not without purpose or it's not without um, its place in the story of God. You know, if you're anything like me, you're going to do everything you can to avoid hardship and suffering. And this year, I won't get into all the details. I've had, I've had the hardest year of my life through a few circumstances and things that have gone on. But what I have realized is that in that place that I would avoid with all my heart and mind and soul and strength, sometimes it was the very place that God wanted to meet me. And as I went through suffering and as I went through pain and loss, I felt God's presence more tangibly and more real than I ever had before. And it's in that, in that very same picture, if you think about it, where, where Jesus' friends, his followers, are able to actually feel the, 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 the evidence of the pain and suffering that Jesus went through on their behalf. That he actually met them, like that he was able to sympathize with our brokenness, with our, with our human frailty. And so as we go through suffering and hardship, Jesus is there to say, hey, listen, I get it. I understand. But that's not the end of the story. There's more to the story because Jesus, he didn't stay in the grave or he didn't stay on the cross. He rose again because there's so much life in Jesus that death itself could not even keep him down. There's more life in Jesus than there is death in death. This is such an intimate picture of how God wants to identify with his people as we think about Jesus showing his disciples the places where the nails and the spear had pierced him. When they see their scarred Savior, gladness builds in their hearts. You know, he speaks peace to them and he shows them kind of what happened. And it's, it talks about how they're glad. They were glad that they saw the Lord. They were glad that he was there with them. When we see our scarred Savior, gladness builds in our, builds in our hearts. So the pursuing God shows us that suffering and death isn't the end. Why? so that we can live with a contagious hopefulness as his followers. He goes on. The pursuing God, he sends us as he was sent. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And this is incredible. So there's this whole process of, of us understanding and, and the disciples would have understood probably a little bit more than they would have even three days before a lot of the things that Jesus had been talking about were how Jesus came to accomplish the will of the Father. Remember, we talked about those three things that Jesus came to do. He came to show us what God was really like. He came to announce the arrival of God's kingdom. And he came to invite others to follow him in his way, to spread the presence of God into all the world and to teach these people how to be human beings. So there's this... There's this um, deputizing in a way that's almost happening, where Jesus is saying, listen, just like I was sent by the Father with authority, I'm sending you with authority to do what I was doing. And what they're doing is not 
creating their own rule or spreading their own ideas. And some of the early church might have even been frustrated about um, them just talking about what Jesus had already accomplished. And so that's so much of the New Testament is just declaring what Jesus has already done. And so they're implementing or they're walking out his achievement, his rule, his reign, and his way. And this, this purpose and this message, this, this thing is to, is, is to spread God's presence all over the earth, like the, like the waters cover the seas. So God in Jesus is deputizing these followers of his to be carriers of God's presence, just like Jesus was, to be ministers of his message of the arrival of the kingdom and to make more followers of this message of this new king named Jesus. And we see this taken to heart by the disciples as the gospel continued to spread in the first century through the early church, through leaders like Peter, John, Paul, and other disciples. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's speaking from a place of authority. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So why, why does he send us just like he was sent? So that we can participate in making disciples of Jesus. So we can participate in our original design to spread the presence of God into all the earth like the waters cover the seas. That, of course, is possible when God's Spirit comes in and indwells individuals and they give their lives to following the way of Jesus. The last thing, guys, that we learn from here is that the pursuing God breathes on us. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If anyone forgives the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus here is sharing his anointing of the Spirit, which is incredible. Paul expounds on this whole idea a lot in his letters in the New Testament about this whole idea of being in Christ or our union with Christ, that because we're by faith joined to him, we share in his anointing in the Spirit and we, we share in his, his place in the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit where we're seen as he's seen. The way the Father looks at the Son is the way the Father looks at you. And part of that is us receiving the Spirit. Jesus, his ministry started and was kicked off as he was baptized and received the Spirit. He heard the word of affirmation from his Father. Behold, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And a dove descended on him and the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was able to go into the world and demonstrate and announce the kingdom of God. So it's, it's cool, the, the whole idea of, of, of breathing on them. Now, it might, it might seem kind of weird. I don't know if anyone's come up and breathed on you recently. Maybe not. Not so much something that we do culturally. But it, 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 as you read it, this harkens back to the garden again. Remember, in the garden, the way that, that God actually creates humans, the first human, Adam, is he, he actually takes some, some dirt, it says, and he breathes into the dirt and brings life. And so remember, this is the day of the resurrection where Jesus is actually the first fruit of a new creation. Of a, and he's, he's the, the new human. And so he breathes into or onto his followers, his spirit. He's breathing new life into these people. 
And he's essentially saying, hey, listen, we're gonna live out this new creation, and in order to do so, you need to be able to, to breathe in this new creation, this new way of being, and so let me anoint you. Come share in my anointing in the Spirit. Come depend on me, and that's the way you're gonna be able to live this out. So he's, he's kind of ushering in this, he is ushering in this new humanity that lives out our true calling to be with God, to spread his presence into all the earth. And then he talks about them going out and forgiving sins, and, and if they aren't forgiven, it's withheld. And there's some debate about what this actually means, but N.T. Wright says this, they are to pronounce in God's name and by his spirit the message of forgiveness to all who believe in Jesus. They go to, to go preach the gospel. They are also to retain sins, to warn the world that sin is a serious, deadly disease, and that to remain in it will bring death. They are to rebuke and warn, not because they don't like people or because they are seeking power or prestige for themselves, but because this is God's message to a muddled, confused, and still rebellious world. So he breathes on them and essentially says, go preach the gospel. Announce the good news of forgiveness of sins in Jesus. Announce the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is an incredibly tall task that is only possible through the ongoing empowerment of God's Spirit. My father-in-law has this famous saying, that means famous in our little neck of the woods. He says, what God orders, he always pays for. And so in this, in this new humanity where we're given a new mission to go and preach the gospel, where we go to be, we're, we're, we're sent out to represent Jesus to all the world, he's, he's giving us the, the sustenance in himself, in the Spirit, to, go, to be able to do that. So how are we going to be able to go do that is, is all tied to our staying dependent on him. So why does the pursuing God breathe on us so that we can live empowered lives? So in summary, guys, really quickly, and then I'll kind of land the plane here. The pursuing God walks through our walls so that we can meet others where they're at. The pursuing God speaks peace so that we can speak good news to those who need to hear it. The pursuing God shows us that suffering and death is not the end, so that we can live with contagious hopefulness. The pursuing God sends us as he was sent, so that we can participate in making disciples. And the pursuing God breathes on us, so that we can live empowered lives. City Gates, God has a unique calling on you as a community and as a church family. I love your mission statement to uh, help people find and follow Jesus. And in, I want to just emphasize to you guys that you are here for such a time as this. And that I really, as, as I was preparing and praying, God wants you to not move past the good news of the gospel. And I don't think that you do in any way, but just to, to, to feel okay with camping out there, with being blown away by the, the, this message of a pursuing God who comes and finds us, who walks through our walls, a pursuing God who comes and speaks peace to us, a pursuing God who comes <clears throat> and shows us that our suffering or even death is not the end, that there's a, an eternal hope that we're called into, that this pursuing God and comes and he wants to send you just as he was sent. And this pursuing God comes to breathe on you and give you sustaining life. City Gates, God has called you to partner with him in his glorious mission to fill all the earth with his presence. And I feel like in this time where 
you know, it's been a tough year and a half for all of us. And we can kind of, maybe some of us have lost the plot a bit. Some of us are feeling discouraged. Some of us are maybe just exhausted. Some of us are kind of questioning even our faith maybe. And maybe you're listening this morning and you're not even sure what you believe about Jesus. But wherever you're at, I, I feel like there's some type of application that by God's spirit, he wants to minister to you as you're watching this at, at various watch parties, or maybe you're just watching this on YouTube, that God's spirit actually wants to minister to you so that you can respond to this pursuing God and begin to pursue others. And so I'm just gonna kind of read through a couple things uh, that I felt like were kind of highlighted to me as I was preparing, and then I'm just gonna pray and that will be it for me. All right, I'll start at the beginning. Um, I believe that some of you are hiding. If that's you, God wants to come find you where you are. But the question, I guess, to, to start with for you is, do you want to be found? Do you want to be found by God? Uh, I believe that... Um, some of you are dealing with relational strife and God wants to come and remind you of the peace that is offered to you in Christ and just minister that to you. And from that place of receiving peace, you can go and become a peacemaker. I believe that some of you are really going through some difficult times of suffering and God, if that's you, God wants to remind you that he is with you in your suffering and also to remind you that this is not the end. It will not last forever. And I believe that there are some here or listening or watching that are wondering what and why are you, you're even here for? Why am I here on this earth? And I believe God wants to remind you or even show you for the first time that he's invited you to join him in his mission to make disciples who fill all the earth with his presence. It's a beautiful reason to be alive to be here. And I believe finally that there are some of you who are just straight up weary and exhausted from trying to do this whole Jesus thing in your own strength. And he wants to remind you today that apart from him, you can do nothing. Yet, in him, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So let me pray. And thank you guys for listening, and I trust that God is going to continue to speak and move and work as the service continues. So let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, you are the God who pursues us, who finds us, who speaks peace to us, who reminds us, Lord, that you're with us in our suffering, that this is not the end. You remind us that you've given us a purpose, Lord, to make disciples, to partner with you, and that you've empowered us by your spirit to do that. So, Lord, I ask for each of us that are, are listening or watching this morning, remind us of how you've pursued us. Show us, Lord, the ways in which you're doing it right now and we can't even see it yet. And would you make us a people who pursue others? Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this community. Would you bless City Gates, Lord? Give them eyes to see those around them who are hiding, Lord. Give them 
an ability to speak the good news of Jesus, the peace that he brings, in really eloquent ways that land where people are. Lord, would you help this community at City Gates live with a contagious hopefulness in the midst of all kinds of hopelessness, Lord. May it be contagious in their workplaces and in their schools and in their neighborhoods. And Lord, may City Gates be a community where disciples are built and made, genuine followers of Jesus. And Lord, would you make City Gates a community that is empowered by your spirit? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys.